Hey everyone, Austin Swanson here, AKA 24-7, bringing a brand new video on Cardlytics. Regarding valuations, north of $1 trillion in some situations, as well as the overall intrinsic value. I, I'm, I'm proud of this right now. Um, I have put considerable amount of time um, and effort and in terms of just writing it and thinking about it. I have thought about this almost at the schools of, of anything else for the, at least the last week. Um, to the point where I'm having dreams about it. I've been having dreams about new UI systems and all these unique features. And and that's probably a function of maybe not even just sleeping and just sitting there just thinking all the time. And I'm, I, I truly am not over-exaggerating. I think, and, and, I, and I enjoy it. I am extremely passionate about Cardlytics, um, but more so just in business investing in general. Um, and from that passion, it's led me to Cardlytics and why I've been just so fascinated by this opportunity. More so fascinated that it feels like there's only a few people who truly recognize what this could be, and consequently, the market price is very low <laughs> um, in my eyes. But today, what we're going to talk about, uh, the write-ups down below, there's a lot in here, so I'm going to kind of go through it as quickly as I can, uh, and please reference the write-up for more additional detail. Uh, but I guess just an overall summary, if you don't want to watch the whole thing, Carla is to be valued at $0 if... MAUs or average revenue uh, or monthly active users, MAUs or average revenue per user, ARPU, uh, stay constant. Because if they stay where they're at today at approximately 167 million uh, users and $1.36 or so over the last like the trillion 12 months, uh, if those stay constant, it's not going to surpass the fixed expenses of like 117 to maybe get up to like 150 million operating expenses. So if it's producing no cash flow, the company's worth nothing. 3 billion or about 2.67 billion as a market close today of where the company's current market cap is at can make sense um, if if you assume there was zero MAU growth and if you back into it, do a reverse like discount of cash flow analysis, um, but backing into ARPU, you get $7 in ARPU 10 years from now. Is that reasonable? Well, that matches uh, management guidance of, you know, mid the, or the high single digits in ARPU. Um, or, you know, if you use 3% MAU growth, and so you're in, spreading out a little bit more, uh, ARPU only needs to reach $5.30, which seems kind of low in 10 years, given on Bank of America, it was at like $2.30 uh, before with less offers, uh, the old UI system. And this, again, is ignoring benefits from more offers and relevant offers following the self-service platform. Um, enhancements in user face, better pictures, presentation of the offers, the organization of the offers, um, ignores bridge and the SKU level offers, uh, international and open banking opportunity, which are at higher gross profit margins because there's lower presumed uh, revenue share based on what management said. Um, it's ignoring MAU growth and the neo banks, which also have higher gross profit uh, profit margins for the same reason. And it's ignoring possibly lower taxes, um, higher multiples and higher gross margins um, that are actually pretty reasonable and match even other current companies. 217 billion, <laughs> a little jump from 3 billion, um, is the value evaluation today, again, discounting present values, you know, like this isn't 10 years ago, it's taking the value from 10 years ago, discounting back today. Uh, it's based on an average, and this is something I'm gonna talk about, um, of a top-down, you know, total addressable market, TAM approach, um, and a bottom-up approach from the consumer incentive perspective. So I'm taking two, doing under reasonable assumptions, and I'm taking an average of that, value at 10 years, discount back to today. That gets me about 217 billion. There's also a valuation of taking the average that leads to 803 billion. Um, and that's again, a valuation based on a top-down and bottom-up, doing the same process, 
but under more aggressive assumptions that are more in line with what we're seeing in today's market. Again, the, the reasonable assumptions are, are assuming that, hey, we're in an interesting market. This is, may, may not last forever, so we have these reasonable assumptions, but 803 is also possible. Um, and this is where there's a valuation doing the, the total addressable market and taking the percentage share of that, where it leads to $1.7 trillion in 10 years. And I still think it's reasonable. Uh, and so we're going to talk about that and on all the assumptions I'm making. Uh, $50 billion valuation today can represent a scenario where we take those the reasonable assumptions but ignore new neobanks. So like the situation we, we got where the $217 billion, I'm going to say, hey, we're just going to ignore the neobanks. We're going to take 50% of ARPU or same thing, 50% engagement. Um, or we're assuming a smaller percentage change. And again, we're doing those under reasonable assumptions that can lead to a valuation of 50 billion. And so what this does is there's all these different scenarios. You have the, the scenario where zero is possible, uh, three is possible, 50, 263, 803, all of these, or even in the individual like TAM market where the 1.7 trillion is possible, right? And so my best estimate at intrinsic value is about 120 billion today. I mean, this, this is just out of nowhere. And I think the more important thing isn't the numbers that I'm saying, it's the idea of what I'm talking about today. Um, and a reasonable range, because we can't boil this down to a single number, is between like 90 and 180 billion. Again, today, not 10 years from now. <laughs> and I'm gonna walk through how I got this number, right? Again, this it seems like I'm not maybe aligning with people. I, like, I already feel this like uh, un uh, <laughs> misalignment when I talk with people, because they're like, wait, the market cap's two. Like, it's like two or three. And you're talking about 120 today that it's worth. Because again, the value today is based on the present value of future cash flows in the future. We don't know which scenario is going to happen, and so we have to assign probability today. So, again, it's not a question of whether the best case 1.7 trillion scenario is going to happen or not. And we're not trying to find that single scenario because we can't, right? Uh, we can't assume that the correct intrinsic value is 909 billion um, or even 803 billion without assuming that scenario is going to occur with 100%. That should be updated to 103. I'm going to write that down. I'm going to adjust that in the write-up. Uh, therefore, because, okay, so again, I, I really want to hit this home because this lays the foundation for everything. We have all these different scenarios. We could say, hey, this is the scenario where it's 1.7 trillion is going to happen or the eight, or the average of them, 803 billion. Uh, but by doing so, we're saying, yep, there's 100% certainty that's going to happen. I can't make that assumption. And so we have to, we have all these different uh, scenarios and we're going to assign probabilities to each one of those. Uh, and as the and if we take the probability times the valuation of the scenario, we get an expected value, right? There's a probability the zero percent or the zero dollar valuation happens, right? It can happen. I'm, I'm not going to give it a zero percent weight. I'm going to give it some weight. Uh, there's also a situation where this all works out perfectly and probably even better, and so that should give some weight. You come up with an expected value compared to today's price. And as new developments happen, such as the Q2 earnings, and we heard that there's 14 additional neo banks the probabilities adjust, right? It's more likely that one of the better scenarios uh, where they get more neobanks, more MAUs, that the valuations, it, that one of those high value scenarios is gonna happen. So we need to adjust the, the probability accordingly so the, uh, the valuation or our value, expected value increases. And that has worked out really nicely when the price is going the opposite way, <laughs> widening that margin of safety. So this aspect of using the probabilities against uh, adjusting probabilities as new news comes out, it quantifies the qualitative aspects of seeing the business improve. And so therefore, like, we're gonna have a range under different developments uh, that can be referenced. I kinda, I, it's very general, but essentially I'm saying, hey, if these things happen, this is how I may think about adjusting my probabilities, such as they added Square, or cons uh, consequently, if they lost Chase Bank, what, what does that do to the probabilities 
And then what is the value? Well, the value may still be in excess of the of the market price today and it's still a buying opportunity. So people started, they might incorrectly assume the situation, uh, which I feel like is happening all the time, especially you know in the short term, there's a lot of short term thinkers. Uh, it just, it opens up crazy possibilities, especially when there's this, this huge margin of safety. So uh, my thoughts on the current price, the future value, I just believe the current market cap reflects very short term thinking and linearly extrapolating the MAU and RFU assumptions, as well as assigning no value to the future values um, of like our future developments, those high value scenarios where things start working out. I think because it's so uncertain to people, they just give it zero weight. They say zero probability happening. I don't think so. I think you have to assign some probability of occurring because it makes sense. And when you assign even just I mean, think about this case, right? The If you assign 99% probability goes to zero, 1% probability of, of being the 803 billions uh, scenario, that's 1% of that is 8 billion. That that expected value is greater than the 2.67 billion market cap today. So it's just it's just even hard to comprehend. I think I, I yeah, we'll get into it. I think I comprehend it, or I, I if, if you go through that way, it's like 0.3% is what the market assumes. And then 99.7% of going to zero. <laughs> it's a mispriced bet. So I feel like this is just one of the most unique situations I've ever, ever come across where the market price gives just so little weight to the size um, of the future cash flow potential. And it's large, this cash flow potential, because it's a growing, uh, large, addressable market. The, the global digital advertising market is huge. You get just a sliver of that, which is possible because of the competitive advantages that Car Linux has. They're able to, they're not only gonna probably gain it they're gonna be able to maintain it because of their competitive advantages and so by getting a large market share of a large market <laughs> it, it already starts producing large revenue but then it's like okay if it doesn't take a lot of capital to do so uh, because if it does then you might not have a lot of cash flow there's not going to be it's very uh it, there's not a lot of capital uh, that's needed to produce it they've already done a lot of the legwork you might have to hire additional employees uh do additional development work for some of the SKU level stuff uh, but most of the large legwork has been done and so this can just throw off cash. So not only are people just not even thinking about how big this can be, uh, I believe that they're just underestimating the probability, which I think is much larger than people assume because the business keeps continuing to improve. And, and as it improves, the probability of those scenarios incurring keep increasing. So they acquired DOS for the neobanks. Uh, that is just, I think people are just not even, I mean, people were complaining about 275, uh, 275 million for DOS. I mean, let alone Bridge, was, which was under, I mean, it kind of was something similar, like, what, 350 with some earnouts. Still, I think the opportunity is so large and those are so needed that people will look back and be, and it might be some of the craziest investments of all time up there with, like, Instagram. I, I'm throwing that out there. I mean, I, I truly believe it. You also have uh, the business improving because we've seen some early success with the open banking, uh, with, like, Nectar, uh, new user interface, notification developments. The, okay, I've talked to people with the, uh, this video could get so long. Uh, but the notification developments, not only were they mentioned, if you go into US Bank right now, I, I believe this is 100% new. Under their settings, there's a, a uh, the cashback deal settings. They added a thing for uh, push notifications and for new offers <laughs> and expiring offers. People are saying this won't be done. They don't control the, the banks. It's there. It's in there uh, because it benefits the banks as well. It increased. My goodness, I never even thought of this as the argument. The whole point of this isn't necessarily the money uh, for the banks, right? Not not their share. Cliff Sosen hit on this really well in his business breakdown. Uh, but it's the engagement aspects and all the other benefits they get, right? 
why wouldn't you, if you can entice them to use their app more, have push notifications that lead to them using it, the app more? Just It just makes sense. Um, and people aren't going to turn these on. I mean, it might turn off individual ones for push notifications, but if they don't see that, right, they will probably leave it on because most people want their bank notifications on because it's going to be a really important thing for that. The other reason why the probability is increasing of this of of them attaining this large amount of cash flow is you have a single entity with 600 some employees working on the same goal. This isn't like in Google and there's this division of like 20 people like, hey, let's do some offers in Google Pay. This is a large amount of people working on a single thing. This that increases the odds. The other thing is you have every constituent in the ecosystem, the banks, the advertisers, the users, they're all working. And this is something I, I've never thought about, again, until really thinking about this. Uh, I re-listened to Cliff's last uh, two interviews, I believe with uh, yet another value uh, blog or podcast and the business breakdowns. And it really started to click on to me about the opportunity with the certainty of the data as well as how advertisers might use this platform differently. And there is, I just think it's it's almost insane what can all happen here. I mean, but the, the big thing is, is you have all these constituents like, the consumers can save more money, advertisers can have more customers, the banks can have higher engagement. So there's this like inefficiency happening, right? It's there, they just haven't maximized it. Cardlytics is gonna cover this situation. They have a solution for all three that by each one doing it, maximizes it for the other, right? The customer, uh, let's say uh, the customer wants to save more money, well that leads to better, more customers for uh, certain those advertisers and leads to more engagement by the banks. The banks, if they, they want higher engagement, maybe they're going to fund more of the offers uh, for the consumer incentive aspect. So that's good for Cardlytics, good for the advertisers because they're, they're going to get the conversion, as well as good for the, the users. I mean, everyone, by maximizing their own benefit, is maximizing everybody else, and it's everyone working the same direction. It's not like there's one person, like the individual, who's like, oh my gosh, it's Facebook using my data. We need privacy concerns, or we're taking away this data. No, it's their bank. They trust the bank, and it's offers. They're, they're going to compare and associate in their head of, wow, I'm saving 1%. I get 1% cash back on this card, but I'm getting 10% or 15% of these offers? This is insane. I love this. I mean, they're paying you. <laughs> people don't like them using, like, don't like people like Facebook and Google using their data and profiting off them, right? They're, they're, they're selling our data and using their data. This, you're getting paid for their data. It, it's just... I just, like, I'm sorry I get so excited. It, it probably, I, but <laughs> I don't see how this isn't going to work. I just don't. All right, let's. So anyways, we all have the same information here. It just becomes a function of, uh, all you know, how much is gathered of the information, how it's assessed and interpreted based on, you know, pre-existing things we know, and how it relates to other things we know of drawing other comparisons. So someone who reads a lot more, watches more things, may have understanding of the business better because they can draw parallels and say, hey, this is similar to what's happened in the past. But if someone else hasn't seen that, they might just dismiss, dismiss what's happening. So let's get into this. We, we, we're, we're 15 minutes in. And hit introduction. <laughs> um, I, I do want to just go through. So again, this isn't to rationalize or explain uh, like, or, or I'm trying to rationalize and explain. This is, I'm trying to explain why it could be con uh, perceived as undervalued, why the current market price could make sense, or maybe that there's a higher valuation. Uh, but again, if, if it was, if we knew which scenario was true, uh, we would know the, the, the actual cash flows. We could discount those back. We know the appropriate uh, value of the company. However, the true scenario is unknown, and each possible scenario ha uh, has an associated valuation, and we'll assign a probability of that of occurring. 
and without any expected value or the intrinsic value and compare that to the market price. Uh, this is not investing advice for educational purposes only. Um, these are just my best guesses. Um, again, this is a complex system interacting with internal and external uh, factors and forces. You just can't boil this down to a single precise number with you know decimal places or anything like that. So I try to give a range based on if you know certain information comes out. But again, the, the, the more important thing to me is is the idea of what I'm talking about. So some assumptions. I'm using 10 years of thinking in 10 years from now just to give enough time for things to develop. Develop things could happen as little as five years or even 15 years or not at all. <laughs> Engagement. I'm assuming so in the, the TAM approach. I don't explicitly assume this because I'm taking the top-down approach. But in the bottom up from the consumer incentive level, I'm just assuming 100% engagement. Uh, the reason for that, like you can go through the details of exactly why I do a scenario with even just 50% engagement from 10 years from now. But my thought is in the fullness of time, right? Every user of every card will be using, uh, will, will redeem at least an offer, right? And because I think there is a perfect offer for everybody. It just, it's not right now, right? Uh, the reason I think about this is those comp companies with that perfect offer are either not advertising card likes right now. They are advertising the wrong person. Uh, they don't have the data that they need because maybe that the spending, uh, like if you're a service person uh, in the service industry who does haircuts and the person is spending all that money is on Venmo and they don't have that information yet. Well, once they get that information, then they can send that offer on Venmo. Uh, or the customer is just not even part of the system. They have, you know, community credit union banks. Uh, and so they're not a part of our lives yet. Or the incentive isn't there yet. So over the next two, 10 years, I think this will change. Like we talked about, all these constituents acting in the same direction. I think they'll figure this out. So, especially when self-service comes out, Cardlytics doesn't have to do the work <laughs> to, to do this anymore. It can be the advertisers on their own. And then the consumers can find it, and it's just not like that. Uh, so, if, for instance, you were notified of a free meal, so a large incentive, um, at a new restaurant down the street, because they're now advertising Cardlytics, in the category you love, again, this is data that Cardlytics has, um, and it's going to be more likely you're going to redeem it because it's based on what you already did. Well, you already spend your money. Uh, would you not consider that offer? I mean, think of more extreme, a free flight, free hotel. Like, it, it, I just don't see how people aren't going to redeem these offers. <laughs> people can say, oh, like, engagement's not going to be there. People aren't going to look. People aren't. If people see free money in large quantities matching what they like, and they're aware of it, Falls time, people talking about it. I, I just don't see how there's not that engagement. So, discounting, there's okay, one way you can do uh, you can do discounting is you can take those future cash flows, discount it back uh, to today uh, to find the implied discount rate. So, you find your implied rate of return based on the current market price. Another way is you use the same discount rate, maybe like a risk free rate, uh, and discount it all back, and you compare that. Uh, like expected value or intrinsic value to the market price, and you can use that for to compare opportunity cost. The final way is attempt to value the company based on on how others might be valuing the company. We're getting into a Keynesian beauty contest, uh, but by doing this, I just feel like this is a good approach, right? I've done this in the past, so uh, maybe people use cash flow multiples. I don't like doing that. I like to actually understand. Again, we're discounting future cash flows, and again, that if by discounting future cash flows, it's just the present value of future cash flows, and if, if those go forever, you can use this nice little formula. We've talked about this at length in the past, uh, but it's essentially it's the risk-free rate. Uh, it's your return minus. It just boils down after you uh, condense it all through some arithmetic uh, or algebra. It boils down to the risk-free rate plus an equity risk premium, which I'm assuming uh, the average 
over the next you know several years will end up being more like five percent for the 30-year uh, risk-free rate plus an equity risk premium for a mature company this is like a large facebook or something like that say three percent but it'll grow forever at three percent um, and so this ends up being we're discounting all future profit cash flows at an implied rate or or i guess explicit but um the returns eight percent but growth is three or discount five percent which leads to a cash flow multiple of 20. Uh, this is the same thing if you're trying if you're doing commercial real estate and they're talking about noi noi and cap rates your noi is essentially the cash flow divide but it, it's not but that's how we're talking about it uh divided by the return you're going to earn forever so i wanted to have some consistent assumptions so i try to use the same for everywhere there isn't a scenario where i'm going a little bit more aggressive and assume five percent here which leads to a three percent discounting and a 33 multiple but that like google and facebook are at, like 32 free cash flow multiples right now um, but again, you don't have to accept these as, as, oh, 1.7 trillion will never happen. Okay. Give it 0% probability. You have that. That's the question. I believe that's a scenario that's possible. And I'm putting it out there with reasonable, uh, explanation, right? So in your head, you might have to just say, yeah, I give it 0% or you get 1% or you give 1%. Well then the market price just makes no sense today. So again, this might not be the correct approach, but it's how I'm thinking about it. It's like almost an important time thing of saying, hey, here it is. This is how I'm thinking about it. So overvalued scenario. People might look at Carlytics and be like, no profitability, the price to sale ratio greater than 10, but overvalued. Uh, sure, but you know, most people realize, again, what if cash flows you know, 10 years from now are just in, you know, 10 times the current market price today? Uh, or just, you know, even, or just equal to the current market price today. It just, that means then the market price isn't unrealistic, right? You could have 10 years of no profitability and then year 10, it's like, oh wait, my, the cash flow is 2.6 billion. Well, then maybe this is a reasonable market price action might be too low. Uh, so most people know that. So they're trying to think about the future cash flows and they'll look at ARPU and MAUs. Um, and so essentially what I do is I take the current, or I, I just assume then for the first scenario, cause we're just trying to say, um, what happens if those stay level forever? If we stay at MAUs of 167 with no growth, uh, ARPU 1.36, uh, 1 uh, that will lead to gross profit of $81, 81 million, um, which doesn't surpass the 117 million, which is rough because it, the operating expenses are probably even a little bit higher today with DOSH, uh, but you can't surpass those operating expenses. So there's no cash flow, so the company's worthless. Great. So essentially, in the scenario where it's overvalued, is if you assumed MAUs and ARPU just stay level forever, right? And if that's what you assume, I mean, uh, I mean, for for it to produce cash flow, you know, MAUs is going to have to grow, and ARPU would have to grow. Uh, but if you assume these will never change, which is possible, then this might be a uh, Carlos might be worth nothing, and you may say, "Yep, this is significantly valued," right? Uh, so that might be enough for you just to say, "I'll move on to a new investment," but you might consider shorting. The only thing I would think about is the is the risk worth it if any of those other scenarios happen and then this becomes just significant multiples of today's price. The correctly valued scenario, so I'm looking at the current market cap about 2.67 uh, billion. If we assume MAU stay the same and we back into ARPU, that leaves about $7.12 um, in 10 years from now with matching management guidance of high single digits. Uh, but therefore, if you assume MAUs are gonna be larger, uh, 
uh, like growth in the bank channel, the neo banks, or ARPU is going to be greater than $7. More offers and relevant offers uh, from self-service, SMB start advertising, you have the SKU level offers, improved user interface, um, or if you assume lower than 30% taxes. Uh, Google and Facebook, after all their deductions, are paying like an average of like 18% or something around there. Higher multiples, instead of 20, maybe you assume 33, uh, or discounting at different ca uh, rates, or you assume higher gross profit margins because with the MAUs and, and uh, or with the neo banks and international uh, open banking, these are gross profit margins a lot higher. Well, then you could say that this is actually undervalued. But if you don't assume that, then maybe th maybe this makes sense. Maybe you say, yep, this makes sense. It's they're not they're not going to execute on any of these. I give zero likelihood of any of those happening. Uh, MEUs, 167, uh, ARPU, around management's guidance. So, yeah, market price makes sense. Or you could say, okay, well, it makes a little sense for MEUs to grow from either their existing banking channel or adding more digital users uh, from at, at, and uh, Cardlytics adding more just traditional banks. They sign a few more banks, maybe smaller banks. But you could get to 224 uh, million MAUs in 10 years. But if you assume this, because Dosh has like 80 users, 80 million users with 70 from uh, Venmo, like seven from the N26 Neobank, uh, you're, and let alone the other 14 new Neobanks they signed, you're just essentially saying, well, those won't count. That's double counting, which is reasonable. But if I don't talk about it here, I do discuss that in the assumption section, why I don't think that's a reasonable thing. Essentially, it boils down to uh, people spend differently and we'll see different offers and are likely to use that differently and essentially if, if, if it all else equal maybe they double what they're spending that might be a little extreme but that's actually what i've seen with individuals so um but if you assume this three percent growth getting into 224 million in 10 years you essentially get to an implied five dollars and 30 cents of arpu if you if you compare that to the united uh facebook's current arpu of like almost 200 for the u.s canada i mean it's just Maybe that's maybe that's the correct assessment. Maybe it is worth that little, and it'll never produce that much. Uh, but if you assume, like, if you think, you know, Bank America was at two dollars and thirty cents, or, or around there, right? Uh, and that was on the old user interface, less offers. I mean, currently ARPU's been trending downwards because they've been adding so much more MAUs, and so there's been this, you know, denominator effect. I just, it, it just seems like that's crazy, <laughs> but maybe not. Um, so therefore, if you assume ARPU can happen naturally uh, and grow to that $5.30 from the increased awareness, right? I almost think, as I've seen with others, you know, I, I told friends and family, hey, look at these offers. Boom, instantly they start redeeming offers because they didn't even know it existed. And management's talked about this. They want to wait until there's more offers, better UI, and to make sure engagement stays there. They don't want to say, hey, check out these offers, and there's no offers that are attracted to them, and then they never go back to them because they, they associate the system with that. They're waiting, right? Um, so... Once they're associated, like once they're aware, then maybe $5.30 is possible. If you believe that, essentially just to recap, if you believe, yep, there's going to be about 3% growth, there's also going to be about $5.30 of ARPU because as people become aware, they'll use it based on existing offers. Therefore, the current market cap, oh, I clapped, getting excited, um, is ignoring the benefits from more offers and more relevant offers following the self-service uh, rollout and more advertisers and companies and SMBs and individuals all using the self-service platform. It ignores that benefit because our, if ARPU is already at $5.30 on the existing system and all, all those benefits, and it's just because people are becoming more aware, well, it's ignoring all the other benefits and enhancements in the user interface with pictures, presentation of the offers, the organization of the offers. It's ignoring bridge and SKU level offers, international and open banking with higher gross profit margins. It's ignoring MAU growth from the neobanks, right? Uh, 
po- and the possibility of just lower taxes, higher cash flow multiples, or lower discount rate, um, and higher gross profit margins. So again, if like if 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 you believe this, it may just be an indication that the current market price is undervalued, um, and or makes sense based on what we originally have, but there's some optionality involved. That's a way to think about it. All right. There's also a situation that this is just undervalued. <laughs> um, so at risk of just making this go so long uh i the 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 way i've done this is i've done a a top-down tam approach the bottom up from the consumer center approach and i took the average of those and i did this both under a reasonable uh assumption and a more aggressive assumptions i've also assumed you know 10 years from now that operating expenses are going to be five times the amount closer to one billion right if I assume that with Dosh in 10 years, they're going to get to like 200 million, maybe they have to, in, in order to capture this growth, they have to, they have to go, uh, even get more uh, employees and, uh, and do other developments. And so maybe operating expenses are closer to a billion. Even if they're even higher than that, the gross profits that we're talking about here are just so large that gross profit is almost just equal to uh, the operating profit. So it becomes less important. So under the top-down uh, approach, we have this digital advertising market that's very large and growing, and it's not limited to the U.S. It's global, right? They, they, the global is addressable, and via international banks, neo banks, open banking, um, and so I also think that the total addressable market may not be limited to just uh, advertising budgets, right? Depending on how companies start perceiving this platform of instead of to drive sales but to convert customers. It just might start tapping into other budgets. So it might even be larger. Uh, but also, Carlix has the potential to gain and maintain a large share of this market through their competitive advantages over digital uh, marketing platforms. And also, low capital is needed in order for them to achieve this large market share, leading to high amounts of cash flow. So to get to TAM, total addressable market, I thought about this a lot. <laughs> uh, I have tried multiple ways of going about this, thinking about it from different perspectives, and it just started getting way too complicated. And when I feel like when I'm making too many assumptions is, and everything is sensitive to the assumptions, you just start getting blown out of proportion. So I try to keep this as simple as possible. Might not be the best way to do it, but because I'm doing a bottom-up and a top-down approach under two completely different methods, and taking the average of those, I think it just kind of mutes those effects. So one way I've thought about this was just thinking, let's just take the total global digital advertising market, uh, which I, Numbers vary so much, uh, but I found a decent source, which is saying it's about 378 billion today, uh, projected in 2024 to about 646 billion. Which, I maybe that's too little, maybe that's too much. You have all the you know uh, traditional advertising that might switch over to digital, uh, but maybe we'll say all that growth is happening in the first you know four years, and then after that it just slows down for about three percent growth, getting to about 794 billion. But automotives, I don't think will advertise on Carlytics. There is the possibility that they they could do this, and I've thought about this, but for now, I'm, I'm going to ignore that, which is about 10% of digital. It's larger for you know other mediums because you know TV and everything else uh, where they're predominantly advertising, but 10% in the digital area, which leads to a total addressable market of 715 billion. I think by removing the automotives, I think this is totally addressable. I also think again, you have CPG and SKU covered by Bridge, uh, SMBs are covered by the self-service branding, imaging, and future videos are possibly covered by the user interface. Um, and for the worldwide spend, it's captured by international banking, neobanks. I think we can address this all. Okay? Um, and my assumption is those companies and advertisers that are currently using like Facebook and Google are probably going to continue to do so. 
Uh, part of this can be explained by like consistency and bias. Hey, this has worked in the past. We know it. Why would we change? And even, even if companies and advertisers here, uh, their measurements are of lesser you know, standard of quality, they're probably just not going to switch. I mean, you can just look to TV, print, uh, print, radio, and people just continue to do what they've done in the past. Therefore, I'll assume that Carlytics, like that 231 that they're in in 2020 of global advertising revenue is locked in. Now, you could have say, what about the other advertisers that are currently there? Aren't they going to be locked in? Yeah, yes, that, that's totally possible. Uh, but if you start thinking that way, well, then maybe also Carlytics could gain some of Google and Facebook. It's not completely locked in. So I'm trying to just make as little assumptions as possible. Uh, so the incremental growth, so you had that $715 billion. If you minus the 231 that's locked in, there's 484 up for grabs in 10 years. So, okay, there's $484 billion, but how much can Carlos reasonably get? Well, it's a function of, if you think about, like, Facebook and Google, if they're a much better platform, why would you ever switch? It doesn't make sense. Well, then you're probably not going to get much market share. They have this moat. You're not going to get into it. Uh, that's, that's locked in. I started thinking about this a lot differently after... Spending time thinking constantly about this, especially after Cliff uh, Sosin, the CAS Investment Partners, after his business breakdown, um, and on Get Another Value blog, podcast. Uh, sources are linked in here. Check them out. The interesting thing that I just never gave enough weight to, uh, and I, might, I have my own interpretation. I don't want to ruin any risk of reputation on Cliff. These are not... It's his idea. These are my interpretations going forward. So if they're wrong and you, you know that, just this is how I'm thinking about it, right? Go to the, the, the actual source to hear and interpret how you want. But the interesting thing is Facebook and Google do not have purchase data, right? They And so there's a level that they don't have the same amount of, uh, level of certainty in their data. And so in my mind, like, uh, this this is very significant and it's more easily recognizable if you think about if you have a control group which facebook and google do have but if, with this control groups if you're trying to measure and compare the incremental return right so i'm just going to try to walk through this because i think this is very important so with cardlytics they have purchase data so they have certainty in their data and their results right and so they can measure with absolute certainty the true increment incremental return uh, of their ads right and so I've heard people say, and I think part of this comes from some of the discussions around Airbnb and maybe some of the interviews. And I think it's, there, there's two things. I think, you know, you have advertisers who don't fully understand this, but you, you have to think about Facebook and Google. If you ask them, hey, you know, this company Cardlytics is doing this and they have certain certainty in their data, do you? Oh, absolutely. They, they don't. <laughs> it's everyone and their incentive for, them, for advertisers not to understand this, right? So just keep that in mind. But I've heard people say, yeah, advertisers just don't trust Cardlytics since they don't know if it was if their offer was due to uh, maybe other efforts like by Facebook and Google. Here's the thing: if you have a control group, you have the same level of Facebook and Google exposure both in your actual advertising group and the control group, and so you can measure the incremental returns that Cardlytics con contributed with certainty. That's a huge point. So I don't get the argument. I don't, and maybe I'm missing something. Uh, but again, if you had Google and Facebook across everywhere and in the, in the, the group where they show the returns and they're saying, well, well, the reason you had that high return is because Facebook and Google. Well, if you compare the incrementality, you'll know with certainty how well it worked. I, I just, I, I just don't get the argument. So if anything, I feel that without the certainty of purchase data for the control groups within Facebook and Google, they can never say with any degree of certainty that they contributed to the increase in sales. You cannot say with 100% certainty that they contributed it. 
Uh, more importantly, digital advertisers like Facebook rely on tracking means such as like pixels uh, that face privacy concerns, right? Again, we talked about this beginning about open users don't really love them using their data to make money. And so there's more, like you have Apple and the iOS 14 taking away some of their uh, data. I mean, that's a huge risk to them, right? So in time, this level of data reliability continues to decrease, further widening the gap between the uncertain data on Facebook and Google and the certain data offered by paywalls. I'm gonna make this even more clear of how I'm thinking about this. It gets wrong. Without having certain uh, certainty in the incremental data, I feel any mention or any discussion of return on ad spend just means nothing. For example, say there's a group of people who all recently saw a TV ad. Okay, maybe a hundred of them. Um, and you know, and you show a Facebook ad to 50% of them, and they all make a purchase. And you spent very little on this and led to 100 times return on ad spend. Amazing. And Facebook says that there was a significant increase in the incremental sales between the two groups. They can see that. They say, hey, out of these other digital users, they made no other purchase. And you're like, wow, this is amazing. Facebook, I love them. Let's keep spending money. However, in that control group, that remaining 50%, it's possible that they made a purchase at the same level of the normal offer group but they just did it in stores rather than online. Uh, therefore, Facebook doesn't know. They don't have the underlying purchase data. They're using tracking mechanism online. Uh, <laughs> therefore, since Facebook isn't relying on like secondary means, or they're relying on secondary means to imply what's happening with the purchases, instead of the underlying direct data that Cardlytics has. They, I mean, they just don't see these purchases. Therefore, the incremental returns in this scenario could be zero. <laughs> and it was possible you could have spent nothing and got the same amount of returns in that group uh, since those customers were just likely to go make the purchase because of that TV ad, and you just got in their way with a Facebook ad. They say, hey, there's a Facebook ad. Like, oh, yeah, I was going to make this purchase. I'll just do it here. And so the income returns were zero, and the return on ad spend was really zero. I, I just <laughs> – and people will fight this, and people will argue, and they'll say, nope, we got this data. We got the pixels. We got this. And and sure, and they, I know nothing, uh, but I, I just don't know how you – there's just a different level. And maybe even if, if it's not a huge deal, just think about, oh, we'll, we'll keep talking about this. So Facebook and Google are figuring it out. Okay. So therefore, I think Cartlytics has a significant, a significant advantage over Facebook, Google, and other advertising platforms that really can't be easily replicated without that purchase data. Um, again, Facebook and Google want this data. Uh, so that should speak to it as well. As more advertisers and companies and individuals realize this difference and advantage, usage will increase, leading to a sizable share of the advertising market, and it'll only become harder and uh, to rationalize spending all your budget with uncertain returns when there's an option for certain returns in a brand-safe environment, Carlytics. That's my first thought, right? So this, this gives me an idea that we have this large addressable market. They should be able to uh, get a decent market share. Uh, but... Let's now talk about converting customers versus return on ad spend. Because I mean, thought maybe return on ad spend isn't how you should be thinking about Cardlytics. As an example, I have some things on Etsy, some investor-related spreadsheets. No plug, just for an example. I've tried advertisements. And how I've thought about it, my incremental margin on each spreadsheet is 100%, right? Because I've already made it. Every time I sell it, I had no work involved. It's just there, right? And so if I spent $10 and uh, I sell it for $10. Well, I give Etsy $10 and then someone, then I essentially get it back. Well, that spreadsheet has other benefits that can lead to additional sales. I acquired the customer that may lead to other aspects down the line. And so based on their future purchases and what happens, my return was insane. <laughs> I acquired a customer for free and all the other future benefits, which is, which is crazy. Presumably, 
if Etsy could track those future purchases, they might say, whoa, 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 we contributed that. And let's say I make a million dollars or a billion dollars or $10 billion off that person because let's say I, they, you know, they decided to invest money with me and then I make it a large amount. I mean, this gets really crazy. I guess the, the way you'd have to do the comparison is if they just made a ton more Etsy sales later or, or, or other means um, through my stores, uh, they could say, well, we want a portion of that. And they'll assess it each single year and say, well, based on this last year, that same customer made $1,000 of purchases. Um, so you really, for a return on spend of two, should be paying us $500. And I'm going to say, ah, oh, that's fair because you did contribute to this. Like something along those lines, right? And so in the sense, you shouldn't be focusing on that single return on ad spend. But they do because they don't see all these other purchases. They don't have that data. Crazy. <laughs> so uh, I give the exam. I mean, I, I think that's a really good example. Uh, but like Starbucks, they could do it with a single drink and then benefit from you switching to their loyalty program and then all the future benefits they get from there. Uh, more specifically, you know, think about like with skew. And before, if you have someone who's going to Burger King every single morning, but you don't know what they're buying, you can give them 10% off McDonald's, but they might not convert because they don't really, they're not thinking too much about it. But you get skew and they say, oh, Burger King, that guy's uh, uh, buying a breakfast sandwich every single day. And McDonald's is like, let's offer him an offer for a free breakfast sandwich, right? Uh, excuse me. And you send them an offer, they get a notification, they look at it, they go, oh, what's this? I was and they do it at the right time as well. They say he goes at eight o'clock and they give him an offer at seven thirty before he leaves for, for work. It's like wow, McDonald's free breakfast sandwich, and then it's on the way. Uh, and you open the offer, and there's this nice image of a amazing, <laughs> beautiful uh, McDonald's breakfast sandwich. You might say, wow, that's great. I want to go there. It's free. Why not? You have it. It's amazing. Oh, so good. And because you love breakfast sandwiches, right? But this was better. I never tried it. I now did because it was free. And I'm like, man, I gotta go to McDonald's every single morning now on. For that, let's. I mean, if if. It was a dollar for this ad, and each in incremental uh, sandwich is a dollar that you make from that sale. It's two dollars, so there's fifty percent margins. You made a dollar, so you spend a dollar to acquire the customer. Uh, you get the dollar back after they, they buy it, or, or you know if it was free, it'd be under different circumstances. Uh, but the true benefit comes from them coming every single day and coming back. And if you don't get them the first time, if it's free to acquire, again in the situation where maybe they're buying it for two dollars because they're getting you know the, there's a certain amount of offers or. You can do the math where you spend a certain amount that you'll get it back, just like I talked about with the Etsy stuff, that's free to acquire the customer, and keep trying. You'll see by the purchase data, oh, they keep going back to Burger King. Let's try it again. Let's try it again. Let's try it again. Might as well, right? And, until you convert them and then benefit from for, forever. I just, I, and so, because, so the other part of this, and so not only does it help knowing uh, if they say go back to Burger King, and try with another attempt, but it also allows for the ability for ad spend to be made as a function of future sales instead of the single sale. Having that purchase data, you know, did they go back? Okay, they went back to Burger King, we try again. Um, but knowing what they do in the future, if they do convert, you, Cardlytics could presumably, because there's certainty in that data once it happens, you say, hey, here it is, there's our purchases. Because now you can compare, do incremental returns of other customers and saying, hey, we switched them and this is what they do post-purchase. It because because the return on ad spend doesn't need to be a function of the single price. It could be a return of over you know a given year or two or something else. It just it could lead to significantly higher ad spends and and you'll have you know fractional return on ad spends that are really good because the return on the single purchase, but they're they're large in terms of over a year. So I want to compare this because this was how I think about it: is in investing in securities as the risk decreases or uncertainty increases, investors accept lower returns. Uh, trending towards a risk-free rate. Said differently, investors are willing to pay more and accept lower returns based on certainty, right? 
just don't see how you're saving companies. And like, this is certain. We can convert these customers for free, and the benefit from the future is we can pay, you know, only based on what's actually happened. Um, so we should pay as much as we can to convert all, every customer we can. Uh, <laughs> oh, which would lead to just astronomical returns. So, although the future returns um, and sales are not certain at the time, I mean, you can look at what they've done in the past and then do the, the sale, but you can know with certainty what happens afterwards and then pay based on that performance, similar to what's happening today, just over a longer time period. And then like after a year, you assess it. So therefore advertising becomes similar to investing with the returns and return on ad spend straight towards like a risk-free rate or certain returns. Um, and that they're willing to accept lower returns because of the uncertain. So with purchase data, uh, return on ad spend could become a measure over the lifetime of the customer or over a certain period of time, like a quarter or a year. Um, instead of paying $1, that led to $2 on a single offer uh, where they made multiple offers over the whole year. They could say, hey, we've contributed this, so you need to pay more. I think, I, I think I've hit this home. The certainty of the data leads to so much more than I think people are realizing. And I think it's more, not even what can happen, but how advertisers and companies, maybe not even the advertising market, the, co the companies say, hey, we need to optimize this business. We have all these customers that we can convert, and we see that they're all shopping at Burger King. We can convert them for free, because right now, technically with a you know return of ad spend over one, or depending on the incremental margins and stuff, they're getting, not only are they spending, like you know, converting customers, but they're making money doing so, which really makes no sense, right? I mean, the customers are getting paid to shop differently at places they enjoy. The banks are getting paid with their revenue share to have increased engagement. The advertisers are getting paid to convert customers. Right now, there's all these things that I think because there's money left on the table for each of them to benefit more, those will kind of slowly go away, which will maximize the benefit for everybody. So I just think because of this acting in this force, right, you can see Carlos earning a large portion of the market share, giving the advantage of certainty and incremental returns, the ability to acquire new customers for free, and track with certainty for future purchases of individual customers post that first advertisement. So, what do we do? Right, we have this total addressable market seven hundred fifty uh, billion, but we reduced it down to four hundred eighty-four billion. I think Carlos, with these competitive advantage, I think it's reasonable to assume they could get twenty-five percent of the market, seventy-five percent with left for Facebook, Google, Amazon, other international and global advertisers. So only 25% of this incremental aspect. I think in time this can be way too conservative. I think the market can be bigger. Uh, but if we go through this 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 framework, uh, that leads to about 17% of the 715 billion, uh, which is 120 billion of billions. I'm thinking of, of that capture. That's what they're spending. And so that's billions. Then they have to pay the consumer incentive, which is part of that ad spend. Um, and so you get down to revenue of 84 or 85 billion, 40% gross margins, which is slightly higher than today. Uh, Pre-tax, pre 82 billion. Uh, taxes, I'm assuming 30% would be just too high. That's why we're going to do another valuation in a sec. Essentially, discount all those future cash flows back. Valuation, 282 billion. Nice. We're already at 45 minutes. <laughs> oh, but I love it. I'm having fun. Everything else goes faster, I think, after this. So, Given the actual data that I've had, I've all this different data. I again, just to maybe try to go keep going through this as I remember it a little bit faster. I essentially asked all these people what they've redeemed on every single card, and if that, and I did some adjustments based on if there's two people using a single card and not their other card. Um, again, references for more assumptions, but essentially the average redeemed across all these active users, these are people that know these offers exist, uh, was twenty two dollars. Because most people will be like, well, these people are active. They know about card lists. They know about the offers. That's you can't. Uh, assume that my assumption is that is where uh you know people could be in 10 years but i also think this could trend up 
you know, by a, a relatively small percentage, uh, because that's based on existing offers today, <laughs> right? So we're just assuming based on the existing offers, the existing UI system, that's where it could be today. Well, I think that's too low. So if we just assume uh, that grows by even just 5%, um, which I just think is so, it's just so conservative, uh, that gives you to um, an average consumer incentive of $36, which leads to a conversion of ARPU about $72. For more information on this $2, I've thought about this a lot, and with the, uh, the 10K and how to do this conversion, it's in the description. Feel free to reach out to me. I've talked with others about this. Um, there's not a great way to do this, but there's also, like all the other benefits we're talking about before, you could have the, the potential of consumer incentives portion that Carlix is paying reduces significantly as the banks are paying more to increase their engagement. You have advertisers that are willing to pay more um, portions to Carlix to use this to convert these customers based on the future sales. I mean, there's just all these things where it's just so hard to estimate that ARPU could be even way bigger than this. Uh, but as a reasonability check of $72, if we compare this to where we think, you know, that's where we're thinking 10 years from now. Well, Facebook today in the U.S. is around $200. <laughs> so, we're, so we're like 30% of that. And, and so I thought, okay, maybe, uh, well, that's U.S. only, so the worldwide's a lot smaller. But maybe within 10 years, Facebook in total gets to where the U.S. is today, which is still 200 So if we think 10 years, 200 of Facebook total, is that comparable to the 72 that we have? I think, I, I don't see why, you know, that card list couldn't even match that. So I still, I think 72 is even just too too small. Um, MAUs, I'm assuming we got our, our 167 um, of, of the current banks, 80 with Dosh and Venmo. I think N26 has like 7 million for the Neo Bank, um, And then I assume 5% growth, which I think will be even higher for, for Venmo. Um, and that leads to about 402 million. So you might be saying, well, why? where's this 565 million coming from? I'm essentially assuming that we'll get another 100 million worth of neobanks. And you get PayPal, even though it's super, super high in terms of their active users, app users are probably very, very small, but that could grow over time. You have N, uh, NU Neobank, which is 38 million, and Cash App, 36 million. Uh, you just have all these neobanks with significant size and growing. And I'm just gonna assume they grow by 5%, and Carlos gets 100 million of them, and there's just tons of them. Um, they're all frag. It's a fragmented industry, which is great for Cardlytics. That I just think they can grab a hundred of them today that are growing. But if they don't grow, get them today. Well, they can grab them later when they're even still larger. So I'm assuming hundred million growing is what they'll obtain of that. Um, and I think that's a, a reasonable assumption. That's not too aggressive, but because I know people will, will think that's insane, I'll do another valuation where I just get rid of that hundred million. All together, that leads to about forty million dollars of revenue, which is sixty dollars, sixty billion dollars, a billion, uh, a billion. It's, it's really late at night. <laughs> Working on this a ton. It's getting, and we're already fifty minutes in, and I'm just sitting here talking to myself. Uh, but that's only sixty billion dollars of billions is only eight percent of that total addressable market or that total market, right? So I think that's just very conservative. You go through all the math, at least one hundred fifty billion dollar uh, valuation. You take the average of the bottom, which is the bottom up approach of 150 billion, with the top down approach of 283 billion, you get an approximate valuation of 217 billion today. That's that's the value today. Okay, but that's just a scenario. Those are, I mean, they're two scenarios or two different one scenario, two different valuations, kind of. Uh, but let's if we go through the same thing under more aggressive assumptions uh, with higher you know international growth or advertising growth and under different, you know, higher cash flow multiple and lower taxes and 
this is where <laughs> you get to the crazy assumptions. I still only assume 33% of the incremental mar uh, advertising market or 24% of the total advertising market. 24%, that's it, of a market where you have presumably the best data, the best way to, in a brand safe environment, a way to interact with these customers that they trust, that advertisers are, I mean, just that everyone's benefiting and you're only getting 25% of the market. I don't even, I still think that's even too low. And maybe it's because maybe advertising budget is not the correct way to think about it and it should be even bigger than that, right? And so by doing this math is what leads to, again, you get 24% of that total. Uh, so I did the digital advertising market, uh, the same as before, but it's at 3% grew up 5%, leading to 908 billion. I've seen stuff at over a trillion in 10 years for the, the total global advertising, digital advertising market. Uh, and then removing auto, so that's 800. And then again, I still said, okay, 231 of Facebook and Google is locked in, uh, leaving 587 addressable. You take 33%, they're just getting a third of that extra one and then everyone else is getting everything else. Uh, but that's about 24% of the total. And you go through that, again, you get 193 billion billions, uh, which is 135 billion of revenue. You have larger gross uh, profit margins leading to 67 of gross profit. Uh, ends up with after taxes cash flow about 50 billion you have a 33 percent uh, 33 multiple where facebook and google are at 32 right now you get 1.7 billion at your 10 1.7 trillion excuse me 1.7 trillion in your 10 and if you discount that back you get to 1.2 trillion today there you go you've been waiting for it, it took 53 minutes to get here <laughs> i think it's possible and i think it's likely uh, but we'll talk about the probabilities and likelihood. Anyways, to compare this, right? 100, okay, $134 billion, billion dollars in billings. If the global advertising uh, or retail sales today are $20 trillion, if they get to uh, $40 trillion, which are numbers I, I found online, put the sources so you can check them out, it gets to $40 trillion in 2030. Uh, that means that $140, geez, $194 billion in billings is only 50 basis points of the total retail sales. Has If, it, if all these advantages hold true, I think that's too small. <laughs> I, that's why I think that's just a, a too small of a number with all those retail sales. Uh, again, changing the same assumptions for the bottom-up approach, at least about $363 billion value today. You take the average of those, at least that $803 billion that I was talking about before. And again, this might even, you know, Facebook is averaging lower effective taxes after deductions around 19% and I'm assuming 25%. Uh, Google's even lower at 14% and but multiples are around the same. So this might be the most reasonable assumptions. This 803 might be the most reasonable thing I, I, I'm actually talking about. It might make the most sense. But people might say, Let, okay, go back to those conservative assumptions of 30% taxes, 20% free cash flow multiple. Uh, but if we just assume as little as just, we'll just capture three and a half percent of the market and we'll assume all those reasonable assumptions. Well then, yeah, Carlos is only worth 50 billion. They're, they're not that great, but some people will think they are, so they only get 3% of the, the total market. Okay. Let's also ignore those $100 million, uh, 100 million of neobanks. Let's assume um, less percentage of MAUs, so there'll be a, or a smaller gross profit. So instead of the 50, we're assuming 45% gross profit margins. Uh, let's assume that consumer incentives are half of what I'm actually seeing in, in 10 years or what I've been estimating or 50% engagement levels that can also lead to a valuation of 50. So these are just key. So you can spend more time with the first link below. So essentially, <laughs> the true valuation of Carlix is just completely uncertain. Right? We have all these things that could be true. 
Uh, maybe the person who thinks it's worth zero dollars is right, or maybe the market is right and that the current market cap of three billion dollars is what's actually what it's worth. Or the scenario of one point seven trillion dollars in year ten is also possible, right? Maybe that's right, and, or it's more. But given the uncertainty, one can only assume probabilities to all these different situations and come with an expected value and then compare it to the market price of that. So for an extreme example, if we had the two scenarios and we talked about this at the beginning, if we assume there's the 90% chance of going to zero and just a 10% chance of the 803 billion, you know, average uh, good scenario happening, that's an expected value of 80 billion or 30 times today's market price of, of 2.6 billion. Uh, if we just assign a 1% probability of that scenario happening, that's an expected value of 8 billion, which is three times today's market price. We're reversing, America is currently assuming that 803 billion scenario uh, of a 0.3% chance happening and 99.7% chance going to zero. Okay, that's too extreme of a scenario uh, of evaluation. So let's just think 90% chance of going to zero and a 10% chance of going to 50 billion. That's an expected value of 5 billion. That's still in excess of today's market. The market implicitly is assuming there's only a 5% chance of going to 50 billion and then a 95% chance of going to zero. So if you think the likelihood is higher of some of one of those scenarios happening, this could be a mispriced bet. Uh, the attractiveness of the bet just keeps increasing as the market price decreases, and therefore the current market price decline, and the market price has increased the overall attractiveness uh, of this bet. And again, you don't even need the scenario to occur. You only need the market to realize the mispricing and then benefit from the mispricing. So you don't have to have, like, as the odds keep increasing, people are, whoa, 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 this is all happening, so this is more likely to happen. Well, then the, the market price should be higher, odds adjust, people realize that this should be trading for a higher price and it adjusts before it even happens. That's an interesting way to look at it. So that's too simplistic, right? And I try to be simple, as simple as possible, no simpler. And so what I want to do though, is I want to assign a probability to all the different scenarios. And as situations occur, I adjust the probabilities. So below, I give a full set of, you know, I have all the scenarios we talked about and I assign probabilities under different scenarios, right? I have a current one and as new information happens, I would adjust the probabilities. It was super subjective. subjective. I didn't spend my last two weeks only on this part. I've, I just, I wanted to present this as a way to think about it. You can take these numbers, adjust them how you see fit uh, and change the scenarios, but it's just a way to think about it. So essentially how I've looked at this is I, I have like, if today we have this current situation and how I assign the probabilities to the 0, 3, 50, 217, and 803. I assign probabilities, right? As new things happen, like a bad execution on something happens, well, then there's a high probability it's going to be 0, and there's a lesser probability it's going to be one of these high valuations. Or more specifically, uh, you know, we lose a bank partner. We lose Chase, right? Well, if I thought there was a 10% of going to 0, well, maybe there's a 40% that actually goes to 0. And if I thought uh, there's a, uh, or a 10% of these high situ value situations happening, well, there's still a chance that could happen with the neobanks and other banks. Now it's just a one-off situation. So I'm going to give a small weight, but I'm not going to assume, t you know, 20% to these high ones. I'm only going to assume 5% um, and just give much higher weight to these low probability scenarios. But when I do that, if I do the expected value, that's still 31 billion. Again, all subjective, all just arbitrary numbers here. But what that says is even if these events happen, the, the, the good scenarios are still so good. And if they're still possible, well, then the expected value is still higher. And so if you start looking at some of these numbers, right, there's the scenario where, there's only a 10% chance of 50 billion and nothing more. Um, and that's still <laughs> in excess of today's market price. I mean, you go through this, right? 99%, I mean, all these different scenarios, all it says is the market price is just so low and it's essentially giving no weight, zero weight to anything like, of these high value situations. You can't, you give one person, if you get 99 to zero uh, situation, 1% to this high value, 
it's three times the market price. Just no one's considering that, right? And maybe rightfully so. Maybe I'm just full of it and I don't, I, I have no idea what I'm talking about. That's possible, right? I'm an actuary. I don't, I'm not, <laughs> so I'm not an advertiser or, or in the banks. And one interesting thing I'm thinking about, those in advertising and critique it don't understand the benefits to everybody else in the banks or the consumers. And the banks who criticize it and the people who've dealt with payments who criticize it don't understand the benefits of the advertising. There's too many different people involved. They're all benefiting in their own unique ways that I don't think people fully appreciate. So anyways, I've thought, of, uh, the way I've thought about it, right, and I guess I'll, I'll talk about because I think this is important. Um, I just believe that there should be some weight to these high-value scenarios. I mean, you have all the competitive advantage. You have operating leverage. You have skill. You have management. Uh, they've been doing the right efforts and, and doing the right things with the, the acquisitions. Um, I think there should be at least some probability to those high-value situations in some form or fashion, which would make the expected value significantly more to the latest market price. But here's the thing, right? There is... Okay, so I'm just going to start reading this because I, I, there's some of these things I don't want to leave out. So given this current inefficiency and not yet converting more addressable customers... Uh, for these advertisement companies due to the previous inability to do so with certainty before car loans or rather there's this like deviation of, of like what the how op, like of not full optimization of a company i feel that once the power shifts to the advertisers with self-service in the hands of advertisers companies smbs uh, individuals i just think the floodgates open right you have this think about this way go back to the burger king mcdonald's you have mcdonald's you have all these Burger King and other uh, consumers who, w if they knew how good your product was, they'd be converted, right? You, if that company hasn't optimized, and there's a way to do that with certainty through Cartlytics, and there wasn't before, once they have the power and they realize this, I think they will just keep spending, doing what they can, figure it out as they go, and just just exploit it right or not exploit but to minimize the inefficient minimize it to maximize the optimization of the company they have to they just i don't see how they don't do this right and if they if, if they do these high value situations should have a higher probability of happening right but if, if this isn't how you think about it or how the advertisers ever think about it then yeah maybe maybe this isn't possible uh but i've kind of compared it to similar how like again investing uh, how the internet allowed for more information to be easily accessible, making the market more efficient and trade away in a game based on new information, right? Like you give them a, we got this tool. So before it's like, man, uh, there might be all these mispricing, but we don't have all the information, right? Well, here's the information via the internet. Now I have it instantaneously. And so I can trade it away until, until there's no more information to be gained. Essentially, you give all these advertisers the benefit of self-service platform to do it on their own uh, in the information with certainty they'll trade away or spend as much money as possible until there's no money left to be spent to get that incremental benefit and get the incremental customer that's going to lead to everything else. They just, why wouldn't you? For certainty. So you now have a platform that allows you to convert all customers much quicker and more reliable than ever, uh, which will lead to spending uh, what it takes until there's no additional benefit. Therefore, the odds of success in future ad revenue increase dramatically and specifically for the scenarios of 217 billion or 803 billion occurring. So that's one reason for why those other scenarios have a higher probability of happening. Another reason for even larger market share, such higher probability of a large scenario occurring, is Cartlytics has very little headwinds, and every constituent in the ecosystem is benefiting from this. They're all working in the same direction. You, uh, if consumers didn't like their data being used, like Facebook and Google, may increase the privacy concerns, like we're seeing with uh, Facebook with iOS uh, 14. But however, consumers enjoy uh, saving money. They're comparing this to like the 1% they have on their credit card 
and their cash back and they're saying I can earn 25% by spending here with with using these offers they're just associating with that they're they're benefiting from the data um, they're making money they like it you also have banks you know I don't I just don't see them pulling the reward system from anyone uh, given they can't do this on their own with the, the scale and the dedicated resource you have with Carlytics also I see the banks just they're they're going to attempt to maximize engagement and thereby giving more off or more of their share maybe not to Carlytics but to the consumer consumer incentive aspect uh, to increase their engagement which is great for Carlytics uh, you'll have increased engagement usage and it may reduce the amount of consumer incentives that uh, Carlytics has to pay um, increasing the revenue because consumer incentives is before uh, revenue but uh, not only do you have 600 employees working in the same direction uh, but you have just all these other constituents in the ecosystem that are going to try to maximize their own benefit and by doing so benefits everybody else I just think that's just such a weird way of thinking but it's like it's so true like you have <laughs> the advertisers are like oh my gosh we get more customers well by giving more us we have to get more offers and the 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 uh the banks you, through the bank channel they send them an offer so the bank has the increased engagement and then the offer the user's like wow great now i have i can save more money so everyone's benefiting and it happens for every single person and i think that each individual will keep doing what they can to maximize their benefit the user will keep saving as much money as they can uh the banks will try to increase engagement again and it just benefits everyone which just keeps working the same i just i i can't even almost rationalize it. i'm sitting there today you know i go to walk every day at lunch and i was just like <laughs> trying to be like boy this is just so almost uncomprehendable like a situation that has never really i've seen i guess costco you have all these people working in the same direction customers like saving the money the employees enjoy the process you you have this growing competitive advantage you have all these things that's working in the same direction and it leads to crazy results right but they have a high amount of capital employed compared to carlytics so presumably carlytics can earn higher cash flow and presumably there might even be an easier way to address you know more market i mean it's just <laughs> it just gets insane so in addition I, so that makes it so all these reasons i think it's pot like we should give some weight to these high pop probability scenarios so in this current situation i'm giving just 10 percent to the 217 10 percent to 803 i don't think that's unreasonable i i don't i just i think there should be some weight to those um, in addition, I think, you know, the one where it's worth 50 billion are conservative assumptions. I'll give that weight because I think that can just happen in tra the traditional bank channel and everything else maybe fails. Like, hey, I think it still could be worth 50 billion. So we'll give that some uh, a reasonable amount of weight. Um, there's weight that the market could be correct. And I'll never just assume that it won't be 0%. Like, there's always a chance, right? You do, you go through this math with the current, you do the, exp you, you take each scenario times the probability that gives you about 122 billion of expected value today it just what becomes hard for people to rationalize is well the market price is two <laughs> 2.67 and so like people just uh, it just it's so hard to even comprehend but i think it's just because no one is giving any weight or think just there's all this uncertainty over what's going to happen so people just dismiss it uh but because not only is there uncertainty but that uncertain you know possibilities are so huge and, and people are underestimating the size of them and they're estimating the probability of them that's just leading to this huge disconnect between price and value so again I, you can't assign this to one probability so again like think of there's just if we hear about a slight bad execution well that might decrease the odds of the, the high uh, probability scenario so maybe the value is maybe more 90 but maybe tomorrow we hear that paypal signs or square signs and so it's like oh wow then the probability of those uh, highest value situation increases so the market could be higher so i just kind of give this range that maybe 90 to 180 is you know reasonable right now because at any given moment we can hear something else that changes 
Um, and there's even in between they're smaller as we hear more Neo being signed or we hear something else happens that's bad you just keep adjusting you keep adjusting but the thing is 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 the probabilities can keep adjusting and the expected values can keep adjusting but when, because the market is just so underpriced in this opportunity or this situation that you could have a large swing where dosh fails and this is still a good opportunity and way in excess of everything happening so you just don't even have to sell your, your position based on these large uh changes in the underlying business it's just it's insane literally insane so uh you can also apply this to individual assumptions i didn't i've done it in my own work but it just starts getting co so complicated and i tr again trying to make as many as little assumptions as possible and essentially it boils down to the same thing you're essentially assuming the same thing um if you want to discuss that feel free to reach me out i i, I put a description here but it just it adds a level of complexity you're making this up well the probability of arpa being this and then the probability of mmus being this exact amount and then the probability and then it's like well, well if this changes it just adds this this it adds too much okay um the last thing allocation again you can't you can't there's always the probability that this goes to zero and you don't like even if it's just a small probability uh that situation could happen and then you can lose everything and you have total permanent capital loss so you don't want to do that you want to keep making bets and as you make more bets a large number happens and then you start the actual outcomes start matching the probabilities right it might not happen in this one but it might happen in the next one and so given that I have not allocated 100% of my winnings, and the accounts I manage, I have allocated a substantial amount, but not 100%. And on my own personal account, I bet. I, I have allocated even more, a lot. Uh, and my, a phrase I like that I thought about is, although you do not want to bet the farm, I'm young enough where I can always save up and buy another one. I don't want to miss this opportunity. So again, there's uncertainty in what will happen. So, but you can either you, what you need to do with this concern, you can look at the current market price back and then see what the market's assuming and say, hey, is this unreasonable? <laughs> um, or you can just use a range of expected values based on uncertain probabilities and compare it to the current market price. The largest ga uh, catalyst, closest gap between the market price and the value is, I think, is just management executing uh, with all these developments of what the market's ignoring. And as this developments and shows through cash flow, the market will adjust. And I just think there's just too many forces looking the same direction, too many competitive advantages. I mean, you have the certainty and durability of this data over all the other platforms that I just don't see. I, there's a high probability of this occurring. So based on all my own assumptions and what I laid out, I believe $3 billion of the current market price is just quite inexpensive for the opportunity. Uh, I don't need to use Kelly formula or expected values to see that this may be one of the few investments in my lifetime. Um, I understand. Checks nearly every box and is just so significantly undervalued. Therefore, I've invested appropriately to make the most of the opportunity. I have sources for follow-up. Uh, so the resources I, I, I discussed regarding Cliff Sosin. Uh, I have the sources for the Facebook numbers, worldwide spend numbers, and then walk through all the other assumptions as well. And then all my additional videos where I talk more about the company and, and this opportunity. This was fun. This, it's, it's weird to think all this work boiled down to... Uh, in our video um, and I've skipped over a lot there's much more detail in the write-up but I really hope you enjoyed this I hope again it's not that you know the 1.7 trillion the actual number it's mostly I wanted to lay down a framework I want to discuss a lot of other interesting things that I've never considered before and I'm just I'm excited about this I just <laughs> I've, I've never had this much much fun um, in investing so Thank you so much for watching. I hope you enjoyed it, and I'll see you in the next one. Thanks, everyone.